I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. Mr Hinch, welcome to That's Life again. Thank you, mate. I'm enjoying these. Yep, so am I. I think we're up to number 59, this one. Yeah, God, that's amazing, isn't it? That's, that's over a year. <laughs> okay, let's go. Well, we're going to talk about, um, you know, television and uh, TV news and uh, where people get their news. Um, you know, in the old days, started off in America really, didn't it? Because America got television before we did. We didn't get television until the mid-50s. They'd had it for a while before that. We got 1956 for the Olympic Games, if you remember. And, uh, you know, um, uh, watching the TV news at the end of the day was a big thing. It still is, but not like it used to be in Australia. Yeah, you're quite right. Um, Not only news, but but TV, free-to-air TV shows. I recall years ago when I owned a farm up at Mount Macedon, Jackie and I would make a decision on a Sunday afternoon, do we drive home now and watch 60 minutes when we get home, or you watch 60 minutes here and then drive home. It was that important to us. Now I'd go weeks without even thinking of turning it on. But that's not the whole reason here. The reason things people have changed. People don't have to be home to watch the 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock news. They're getting their news from social media. Uh, also, if you if you miss something, you can you know, plug in your, your, your laptop and, and watch it later. Um, I think that, well, the numbers for, for news and current affairs are certainly down dramatically, and so is the advertising dollar, and that's why TV stations have some problems. I mean, I recall when I was doing the Hinch program on Channel 7, we would get sometimes 2 million viewers around the country on a given night, right? Now, TV stations would kill to get a million viewers a night. Sometimes shows like Current Affair will get 600,000. Sometimes the project will drop to 300,000. Now, that's how it's changed because people are, are getting their, their news, and sometimes it's not good news, it's sometimes very unreliable news. They're getting it from social media, and, uh, and it, it must be a worry for, for, the, for the free-to-air stations. Well, people can complain about journalism and news um, you know, there are a lot of valid complaints about it, but at least it had some some standard, you know, like you knew that they're not going to blatantly lie to you about stuff. Um, whereas if you go on the internet, you just don't know where that information's coming from. And, no, uh, often it's fake and often it's, it's twisted and often it's, it's, it's tortured. Yeah, and, um, and particularly at the moment when we're dealing with COVID and uh, vaccines and stuff mm. like that, it's just... Too important to, uh, to to be misled about stuff like that. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, there was a um, a, a Richmond um, um, uh, bakery and, and, and food shop owner who died recently of COVID. The, the, the Turkish uh, yeah. delicatessen and, in, in Bridge yeah, Street. And, yeah. and, and his wife said that um, he wasn't vaccinated, and she said. He got so she was pleading with people to get vaccinated, but he was. She said he was so full of. I'm paraphrasing, so full of the misinformation and disinformation and scare tactics and anti-vaxxers that he he was in doubt whether he should have it done. And now he's dead, and he wasn't even sixty from memory. Well, yeah. Uh, well, the, the problem is that you 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 get that information, and then you get 
you know, we, we talked about this on Twitter just the other day. Um, the Chief Health Officer of Queensland uh, mm. advising against taking AstraZeneca because of issues that were related to it. And, and she used really graphic language saying she didn't want to be responsible for an 18-year-old dying. Yeah, right? yeah, which, now, which now, when you I, hear I, a I, person in authority talking in that way, that would shake people up. Then you, you get this other information, you put it all before together. Before you do, go, go back to the Queensland Chief Health Officer because I, I have to give a sort of an apology because I posted the fact that um, a story, uh, obviously apparently I hadn't seen it, but apparently it's quite old news, that the chief health officer's husband had been an advisor to Pfizer. Pfizer, yeah. yeah. And uh, But I didn't know, and I corrected this after I was told, he'd actually quit w advising Pfizer about eight or ten years earlier. So he, at the time she made her comment about AstraZeneca, he was not involved with Pfizer, and I, I should apologise for, for giving that inference when it, when it wasn't really yeah, I, there. I think her, her, her comments were genuinely made. I, I, mm. I think that she did have concerns about it. But, you know, and this is the balance. The problem is, you know, you've got this, this virus that's spreading and can spread quickly and can affect people's lives. You've got to balance that against one person in one million getting sick from taking this vaccine or the other yeah. 999,000. Well, a woman's got more chance of getting blood clots from taking her daily birth control pill than she has from taking AstraZeneca. That's, yeah. that's a fact. Well, these are, the, more risky. these are the things that need to bubble to the surface using news and news organisations and television news and, and, and whatever. And, and in the end, you want the truth to come out. And that's the whole purpose of news, isn't it? To, uh, to, for for the, the great majority of people to know exactly what's going on in the community well, in which they well, live. We, William Randolph Hearst, the famous publisher, or infamous publisher, once, once his definition was once was that news is something somebody doesn't want published. All the rest is unpaid advertising. Yeah, well, that's that's true, and and sometimes I I watch the weekend television news services, and uh, they've extended it from half an hour to an hour, but I can pick the stories <laughs> that were done maybe five days earlier or mm. four days earlier, which we call mm. pre-packs. Yeah, or, or rip, rip and read off a press release, you know, yeah. Which I absolutely hate because to mm. me that's just filler. That's just rubbish. That's not. Mm. News. News is something that people want to know as quickly as they possibly can can get a hold of it. That's true. Funny, I get uh, a lot of a lot of Twitter critics when I it, when I admit that I watch Sky. Okay, um, it's usually when I complain that Sky has, cra has crossed late to a press conference that they've advertised for the last <laughs> half hour, and then yes. they miss the start. You know, they <laughs> miss it all the time. And yeah, I yeah. love when you pick it up. <laughs> well, and I'm sitting here screaming at the TV. You've got. Tom Connell, who's very good in the job he does, but I scream at him, shut up. He, he started to say, we will now cross to the uh, Premier of Tasmania, uh, sorry, Victoria, we'll cross to him because he's about, he's talking about, and while he's, you can see Dan Andrews talking while Connell is saying, uh, talk, introducing him, just shut up, we know who he is, <laughs> just crash yourself and say, we're crossing, we're going, bang, do it. You know? <laughs> yes. But the, the, the critique I get is that why do you watch Sky? You know, it's biased, it's this and it's that. I make the point, I don't watch Sky after dark. I don't watch Peter Credlin and Andrew Bolt and even Paul Murray, my old friend. I don't watch them anymore. It's too it's too um, slanted and too extra right wing for me. But uh, I watch daytime Sky because their news services, people like Tom Connell I mentioned, Laura Jays, 
you know, um, they're, they're, they're very good and, and, and they put out a very good service of news from around the world and especially in politics. So that sort of stuff is good. And I'm, I'm sure they sometimes feel embarrassed by some of the things that maybe their colleague, Alan Jones, says on Sky. Um, what TV news do you normally go to? Uh... Okay, I watch, um, I watch Sky a lot during the day. Uh, I watch the six o'clock news either on nine or seven. Well, uh, I, I, I want to pin between... you down. Which one do you normally go to? Well, this is funny. I, I start watching. I start watching nine with Peter Hitchner because he's a mate, right? And about halfway through, I switch to Channel Seven to watch um, them because I like watching Jane Bunn's weather. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> So I, get, I get, so I get a bit of Peter, Peter Hitchener, and then I get a bit of Peter Mitchell, and then I get Jane Bunn, uh, who, who's, who's fantastic. Uh, and, apparently, uh, whenever she's on, the numbers go up. <laughs> I can't know, understand why. <laughs> how much, well, how important is the newsreader, the guy who pre- presents it all? And what, is, what, what talent does he need to have? Well, um, to use a word from Brian White concerning radio... His main, the main word is longevity. People get used to it, you know. Um, I remember a cartoon in the New Yorker magazine once after the Apollo 13 disaster that blew up in sky uh, in, in America. And the cartoon had, had a woman and her husband sitting in the lounge room looking at the TV set, and she's saying, it's all going to be okay because Walter says so. And the Walter was Walter Cronkite, you know, one of the greatest newsreaders ever. And it's that sort of... That sort of re- repetition. I mean, people do leave their radios soldered onto, um, arrow dyed onto one station. Usually, it's three AW. Um, but it's it. It's, it's the believability. I mean, that's why. I mean, so Eric Pierce was there for years and years and years. And what annoyed me was that Eric Pierce got a got some sort of, I think, national award on an ACM or something, um, or AO, for services to journalism. Eric Pierce wouldn't have had a clue about journalism. He, he, had a, he was a voice who read the bloody... He read stuff everybody else wrote and gave to him. Now, in some cases now, you've got journalists who become newsreaders and, and they do write their own stuff or they have a great input in it. Um, um, but the longevity is the thing. One, they've got to trust you. They've got to believe you. Um, and and that's important. I mean, look at look at the Bryans, Brian Henderson and Brian Naylor. You know, Brian told me those slogans were done deliberately. Brian told me the underlying line there was, "If Brian told me so, it had to be true." Mm-hmm. Well, and that uh, was it. And, and Peter Hitchener, you mentioned earlier, who is mm. a wonderful guy. Um, uh, I see him quite often at Three AW. He's just a really genuine fellow. He's been doing it for uh, fifty years here in. Well, he was he was um, Eric Pierce's understudy forever. Right? Uh, I can tell the story against Peter because he uh, <laughs> I've told it to his face, so therefore it's, it's open. And you may have even heard it. Uh, I said to him, "Oh, Peter, I love watching you on the news. And you start out the night as Walter Cronkite, and by the time you get to the weather, you're Mrs. Doubtfire." <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> he giggles, with, he giggles away. <laughs> he, he, he is a giggler, uh, isn't he? We've had some great news readers. I remember a guy on the ABC, Jeff Raymond. 
Oh, yes. With these snowy white hair. And uh, whenever he did this uh, light story or something, he always had a beautiful twinkle in his eye. I don't know how he did it, but it's just some <laughs> expression on his face. You could see well, when, it, when it was a heavy story or when it was a, uh, a light story. You, you do stuff like that. I mean, I used to end the Hinch program with a wink. You say, that's life, wink, good night. And it's just a habit you develop, you know. It's something that that people expect in the end and because habit and new, news readers, they, they, they tied together. The, the most famous boo-boo on, on television and news was by, by um, uh, the ABC reader, whose name I've forgotten, it'll come back to me, and he was doing a very serious report about a person being rushed to hospital after, quote, being bitten on the funnel by a finger-web spider. <laughs> That stuck in my mind. That happened, must have happened 30, 40 years ago. It's stuck in my mind ever since. Yeah, bitten well, on the finger by a funnel, bitten on the funnel by a finger whip spider. There was a uh, a wonderful old guy. Uh, you probably knew him, Harry Potter. He, he was Harry Potter oh, yeah. before Harry Potter became famous. Yeah, yeah. He, he was the the TV journalist on Channel Ten. He, he's dead now, but um, he was famous. He was Sydney Sydney Police Report. Correct. Yeah. He, he was famous for saying in one of his reports. The headless body was found face down. <laughs> uh, well, that reminds me of a New York Post headline once which said, um, headless body found in topless bar. <laughs> yes, that's, that's right. <laughs> the, the, the thing you watch, though, with, with, with newsreaders is um, when they make a mistake, how they cover it. Now, the, the number of times you've seen a newsreader and I won't repeat it, but they've used the C word unintentionally. And the look of absolute shock on their face because they know what they've just done as they try to they try to just um, stumble on and try and get through it and pretend it didn't happen. You, know, you, you don't, go, don't go back and repeat it, you know. You just, just keep, keep there, talking. There's some great bloopers that uh, come around. You know, there's a wonderful one, a guy called Ian Nichols, Nico. He's in Bendigo right. now. He, he does a bit of stuff at a community radio station up there. And uh, in the late 1950s on 3UZ, he was reading this very British, because back in the old days, they, they used to I put on this British, yeah. this British accent. You know, and, and, he, and he, he meant to say, uh, uh, you know, half a dozen Zulu women were routed. And he, he, instead he said that they were rooted. But, but then he made it worse because he realised what he said. And started laughing. He he could have gone on and pretended nothing happened. Yeah, that's 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 a trick. Just keep going. Just wait on, wait on. Late late nineteen fifties uh, Melbourne radio. Uh, that was a totally different animal back then. Yeah, it would have been. Well, the thing is that you, we mentioned earlier uh, about news readers who don't even read the news, don't even write the news. But if you write your own editorials and your own news, you're in a much safer position if the auto cue fails. And you have to ad lib. Well, you know, you know the story, that's all, right. Yeah, I used to write every word of mine. Nobody else wrote them. And so if it failed, as it sometimes did, and the audio operator would put a hand, it was before computers, put a hand over the screen so you weren't reading the old words, you're just looking at a hand, and you'd ad lib it. And having written it, you'd know you had where to go and you'd get away with it until you threw to a break or um, she got it back. Uh, but I remember watching Anne Fullwood once, who was uh, reading the news, and it froze, and she froze. 
because she had no idea what was, what was coming next. And she, was like, she kept saying, like a, like a rabbit caught in the headlights, just kept saying, and it was, it was, it was, it was. <laughs> it was, it was you know, and that was the beauty of writing your own material because you could, you could at least talk your way out of it. I, I read somewhere, Helen Kapalos... Uh, who people would know from Sydney and also here in Melbourne. Melbourne. Uh, she had to do counselling, I think. She had because she suffered from post-traumatic stress from some incident that happened on television where the auto queue froze and she was left there unable to do anything and just didn't know where to go or what to. It's it's, it's like being on a high wire, uh, you know, tightrope, isn't it? Um, it is indeed. Now I know. I remember one time. This may not be the one where Helen was in real trouble. And it was during a, a, the leadership spill um, with Julia Gillard and, and Kevin Rudd. I think and, that's the one, actually. Yes. And, and she, she was, she had to. They broke into the news, her her, her, her um, hosting job, and said, "Quick, cross the camera and talk to so and so." And she just, she froze. She couldn't do it, you know. And it was. It was excruciating to watch because it's all playing out on national television. You've got nowhere to go, and especially if it's a network show, you can't um, you can't just toss to an ad break in two seconds flat, you know. Mm. And you'd it's be a, embarrassed that you actually got yourself in that situation where yes. you you were unable to. Yeah. Uh, to this is do. what this is, I mentioned before once on the on this program. Um, you know, um, people who could actually ad lib underwater, which is which is fantastic. You know, there's a. Um, Couple of guys I know at Channel Ten who could do that. It's, it is, it is, it is an art to be able to just and and keep talking sense. You're not just burbling and filling with rubbish, you know. Now I know you've often said, "Show me a, a person with a uh, a good voice, and I'll show you a dickhead." Um, uh, how much? How important is voice? Well, do you think? It usually, it, it, not so much now, but it was in the past. And I'm sorry, Craig Willis. Uh, it was my my professional. Um, stentorian voice person for for years. Uh, I did say, show me a guy with a great radio voice, and I'll show you a dickhead. But I, I did have a um, an ulterior motive here because when I came to Melbourne and joined Three X Roy and then Three AW, an age critic said, I have the I was like a terrier, like a dog with a bone, but I obviously had the worst voice in radio, and and it was true. I mean, my voice was not a radio voice at all. I never planned it to be that way. Actually, when I, you talked about British voices, when I did the Apollo 11 blast off from Cape Kennedy, Cape Canaveral, I sounded so, I sound like Richard Dimbleby. I sound so British. It's quite bizarre. I didn't think I was, but apparently in the middle of the broadcast, I was very British. But then I come to Melbourne and I, my voice is what it is. It's, uh, you know, um, I've had polyps and I've had uh, times I had to not speak for two weeks, but... Uh, it, it, at least the thing is, what was my worst asset became my best asset because it became so um, identifiable, distinctive. Yes, so distinctive. You, you are I mean, exactly right. I, mean, um, I, I could never, I could never make an obscene phone call correct. <laughs> no, <laughs> not that I'd want to. <laughs> um, everyone talks about John Laws as having the the wonderful radio voice, yeah. and and he did. You know, in in the old days, uh, just a beautiful. Timbered. Mellifluous. Uh, yes. I, I asked the, the boss, the general manager of 2GB, it's a 2UE once, I used to do a, a daily um, broadcast for, for a minute called That's Life or Only in America or something for uh, uh, for 2UE. And I once asked the, the general manager of 2UE, why was John Laws so popular? This is before I got into full-time radio. Why was he so popular? 
and pardon the, the vulgarity, but the gentleman who to you, he said, because women think he sounds like he's got a big cock. <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was the that was the uh, the. the, the the ruling by the the boss of two UE. So. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh uh, well, um, uh, the ABC, uh, Darren. I, I often sit. My the ABC is my life. I find nothing else, you know. And it's amazing. You got Netflix, Stan, uh, Disney. There's a million of them now. You you can watch. There's probably a thousand channels or different things you can watch. And then you've got YouTube as well, you, where you can search mm. up uh, stuff that happened. You know, Dean Martin show from the 1960s. If I find nothing in all of those, I go to the ABC. And often, when I go to the ABC, I find nothing there either that that, <laughs> that I like. Yeah. You know, well, they, I'm um, sorry. They, they, they used to be big on news and current affair. Q and A to me now is just not something I watch. I I, I I think they've lost it. There, Four Corners doesn't do to me what it used to do. No. Uh, the seven thirty report to me is just they're just going through the motions. You know, Richard Carlton when he was at the ABC mm. Canberra Bureau, he did some wonderful, wonderful interviews where he really put the blowtorch on people. Doesn't happen anymore. Well, see, oh, what's it like to have blood on your hands, as he said to uh, Bob Hawke. You know? um, look, I, I, I'm not a big ABC watcher, although I'll, I'll tune into various programs. I watch Insiders every Sunday. Um, I watch Media Watch every Monday. I watch some other shows from well, various no, no, channels. No, no, I don't no, know let's talk that. about Media Watch. What, what do you think about Media Watch? I, I, I'm biased. I like it. I yeah. like it. Because uh, what I, I find think... is that I find them very superficial. They They... Pick on stuff that's uh, you know maybe some country newspaper where this happened and they published the wrong thing. Well, yeah, that happens. But I find Paul Barry interesting, and uh, and I I know where you're coming from because it does sound super silly at times. But it's a show I watch uh, every Monday. Um, I'm finding myself occasionally tuning. Look, I had Netflix and Stan, and just cancelled them. So I've never watched a movie all during lockdown. I have not watched one show on Netflix or Stan. Not one, not one movie. And so I thought, I don't need it, so I've got rid of it. But I, I watch, I'm starting to watch shows like Hard Quiz. Um, there's one called um, um, oh, Soft Seats or Back Seats or something like that. On I don't, I don't know which channels they're on, but I, I, I scan through and I find these, these quiz shows. And Hard Quiz is one of them. There's another one that Will Anderson does. Um, which, which I've, I've suddenly found. So I, I enjoy that sort of that sort of in, interaction. And and, and I, I must admit, every night I try and beat Eddie and the team on Hot Seat Millionaire. <laughs> I watch that and, every and, mo- every night. And do you beat them or not? Often I do. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've you been should on go on that, Darren. Why don't I've you? I've been go on it. I've been on it once. I won. I won. I won Sale the Century once, and uh, uh, I think we were on Hot Seat once. Didn't win. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I enjoy those. I enjoy those sorts. Of, those sorts of shows. I think I think Hot Set Millionaire is, is a good show. I think Maguire does a terrific job. It's so hard doing that, and uh, you know you've got to you've got to be on top of everything. And and he he, he does it well. I think he does it really. He, he well. actually um, 
he does quite a lot of things very well, you know. Uh, uh, he's good at hosting. He's good at uh, yeah. getting in front of a lot of people, you know, like uh, emceeing thing, which is not an easy thing to do. I mean, you, you try and do the Brownlow or something like that. Uh, yeah. Two hours of live television in front of a big audience where anything could happen. Yeah, yeah. Do you know this funny and sad thing in a way, and Eddie's made some bloopers on air when he was on Triple M, but the, the morning he made that awful... Uh, King Kong remark about uh, Adam Goods, right? I, the irony was he had very little sleep. He'd been up very late the night before at, at an Indigenous Awards ceremony. <laughs> mm, mm. That's the sad thing. Well, you know? that's, that's the thing, yeah. You've got to be on and, the and ball. And you, you know, when, you, when you're tired uh, or hungover, you're, um, I'm not saying he was, but when you're tired or hungover, you, your defences are down and sometimes you're your reflexes aren't as fast as they should be. And that but it was a, was a terrible thing to say. A oh, it was. truly terrible thing to say. I just want to tell you my Media Watch story, uh, Darren. Yeah. I was at 3AW. It was, a, it was an Easter Monday and I uh, got a phone call. I was on my own because the, the public holidays, that's what we do. It was someone from Media Watch and uh, they wanted to know whether David Armstrong was Norwegian. And I said, no. I said, why? Oh, because he pronounced the name of this Norwegian um, volcano that had erupted and was causing chaos for flights, you know, aeroplane flights all around the world. Do you remember when that was happening? And oh, yeah, yeah. The, the name of this volcano was like 15 letters and just impossible to pronounce. But he pronounced it perfectly, wonderfully. And I said, no, I don't, I don't think he's Norwegian. No, not at all. He was from, you know, grew up in western suburbs of Melbourne anyway. Went off, uh, ended the phone call. Half an hour later, same bloke rings me up again. Uh, is David Armstrong's wife, is she Norwegian? No, no, I know, I, I know his wife. No, no, she's not. No. Anyway, phone call ends again. Sometime later, another phone call. Uh, did he live in, Nor in Norway or something? <laughs> in the end, I had seven phone calls from this guy just wanting to know a little bit more about David Armstrong's links with Norway. At the end of it, I said, you know what? If we had the resources to make all these phone calls about one tiny little detail, we'd never get anything wrong either. Yeah. It was, um, was quite telling, I, I thought. And, and when, I, when I watched it go to air, it would have, made, would have been about five seconds of television that they were checking up. And, and when you see the... Uh the credits roll on the size of the staffs and many of those things. You think, oh my God! Imagine in commercial television or radio if you had those. If you well, had it, those. apparently there's, there's about seven or eight staff that work on that program, and it costs them something like uh, eight hundred thousand dollars a year to uh, to put that program to air. That's that's I'd thought it'd be more than that. Or well, maybe it's more. I'm, I'm not not quite sure. Do we get value for money from it? Mm. I like programs like that, and they should be there. But they are mainly there for for other journos. I would say. And the other thing the ABC did. The thing about sorry, but thinking about ABC waste reminds me of when Paul Barber, my former producer, uh, worked for the ABC, and uh, they were about to tear tear down their uh, their building in Lonsdale Street, I think it was, and and move out to Nunna Wadding, and they came. Somebody came round and said. Uh, you know, we're, we're, next week we're painting your office, offices. And Paul said, why? We're, we're leaving in three months and you're tearing the building down. <laughs> and the guy said, oh, 
that's our that's our paint allocation in the budget. And if you don't lose it, we won't get it next year. If we don't use it, we won't get it next year. So they painted a building they're going to tear down in three months' time. Oh, that is just madness. And you know what, what upsets me about the ABC is because I used to listen to the quarter to eight news on the radio every morning, you know, just religiously switched it on. Because in 15 minutes, you get everything that's happening all around uh, the world. And uh, they got rid of that about two years ago uh, because they claimed they didn't have the resources to be able to fund yeah. something, and that had been going. I heard, for I heard it might years. be coming. I heard it might be coming back. Actually, yeah, well, it should, it should do. It should it, do. They should never have uh, got 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 rid of it for something that's been going on for such a long time, for, and, and not be able to fund it and to be funding other things. Uh, surely. They, yeah, well, there's a billion dollars a year going in there, so, yeah. Well, your friend, Ida Butro, she's running the place mm. at the moment. Did, did, have you noticed any difference since she's been there? No. To be honest, no, I haven't. haven't. haven't given it much thought, actually, no. I know their news director resigned last week or a couple of weeks ago. Gavin Morris, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah well, he's been there for some time. You ever been to the ABC, Darren? Did you... Oh yeah, I've, I've, I've never worked for them. Uh, I, I think you were on Q and A on one occasion. If I, I did Q, I've done Q and A. I've done oh, a lot of stuff. I've um, I've done a lot of news broadcasts from there. And often when when you're promoting a book, you go and use the ABC's uh, national studio. You sit in a little corner room and you talk to journalists on ABC stations around the country. So yeah, I've been there quite a lot. Um, but I uh, and the, the new the new the rebuilt headquarters. Down in, in, in South Bank are, are quite a, are very impressive, I must tell you. Um, but I've, I've I've never been never wanted to work for the ABC, and I've never to be honest, never been asked to work for the ABC. What was the Q and A experience like? Uh, it, it was quite good, but it's 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 far more structured than you'd like it to be. What do they tell you beforehand? The issues they're going to talk about, or the questions no. that are going to be asked? No, no, and I don't. I wouldn't. I'd say don't. Please don't. Actually, the last time I was on q and I think I was with uh, Jermaine Greer and uh, I let her off the hook too easily, actually. I, I suspect Jermaine had had a couple, um, but it was, it was, she was being quite outrageous. And, I mean, oh, is that when she talked about Julia Gillard's backside? No, it was a different one, but her, I mean, of all the people in the world to talk about Julia Gillard's bum, you'd think the last person would be Jermaine Greer who wrote The Female Eunuch, wouldn't you? Mm. But Jermaine's become like the Malcolm Mugridge in her old age, you know. She just wants to shock people. Remember when she said that she only, whenever she comes to Australia, she first gets permission from Indigenous leaders? Mm. Which is rubbish, mm. you know. But she, oh, yeah, um, look, I've known Jermaine uh, oh, for decades. She was uh, two things. I remember celebrating Jackie's birthday once in our house with Jermaine and Jackie and me. And next morning I said, who opened the bottle of 1945 pork? <laughs> And Jackie said, you did. I said, oh, okay. But before that, Jermaine and I got off at a very bad start because she came to New York when I was working there and she visited Lillian Roxon, who was one of my correspondents over there. And she stayed with Lillian down in the village and uh, she dedicated the female eunuch, among other people, to Lillian Roxon, who lives with her cockroaches in Greenwich Village. Now, in New York, you have a lot of cockroaches, you know. It made it sound like Lillian was a grub, and I found that, as a feminist she supposedly was, I found really offensive and a cheap shot since she'd stayed for free in Lillian's apartment mm. for bloody weeks and mm. weeks, and Lillian took her to meet, meet um, 
Andy Warhol and down in Max's Kansas City and all these famous New York places. And then years later, only a few years ago, Jermaine was giving a speech here in Melbourne and she accused me of killing Lillian Roxon. In what in way? In public. Oh, because I was, I was Lillian's boss and I didn't pay her enough money. And I recall the night Lillian died and I identified her body at the bloody New York morgue uh, and she was only 43, 44. And I went to Lillian's the night before because she's feeling bad with asthma and uh, she, uh, she had tickets to a Helen Redding concert, Helen Reddy concert in Central Park. And I just started, started dating my next wife and so I took her, to, got the tickets and took her off to Central Park for Helen Reddy. But at Lillian's place, Lillian looked, looked short of breath and, and flushed in the face. It was midsummer, And I said, Lillian, I said, what are you doing? You, you can afford it. Buy some, get some air conditioning. You shouldn't live like this. And uh, anyway, this would have been 1974 or 5, and uh, Lillian died that night. Mm -hmm. And how I identified the body, and then I had the job of, going through her apartment to you know, sort out her, her belongings with her brother who flew, up, flew over from Melbourne. And I found a bank book. This is in the 1970s, right? And I found a bank book and I s opened it up and it had $60,000 oh, in it in goodness. 1974. Goodness. I just stared at it. I got tears in my eyes and said, oh, Lillian, you silly bitch. I, re I just so, was so angry when I saw that, you know. And so to have, to have Jermaine Greer then accuse me of, of, of killing Lillian, I thought, you bugger. You know? Mr. Hinch, we've gone over oh, time. We cover a lot of ground there. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll All right, uh, sunshine. catch up next week. Okay, mate, bye. Ciao.